Transform the way you hunt with the all-new Bay Cellular Trail Camera connected by the Moultrie Mobile app. Moultrie Mobile's industry-best app gives you complete control over your camera settings, up-to-the-minute updates from the field, and other interactive scouting tools on your smartphone or computer. Features like weather forecast, advanced species recognition, interactive maps, and a whole lot more. For more information and to make your purchase, visit www.moultriemobile.com. Whether you're hunting the back 40 or chasing game deep in the backcountry, the all-new Razor Guide Pack from Outdoor Edge has it all. Coming in at only 12 ounces and in a premium wax canvas roll pack for compact storage and travel, the Razor Guide Pack is seven blades in total, including a 5-inch replaceable blade folding knife, a 3-inch replaceable blade caping knife, and the flip and zip saw for wood or bone. For more information, visit OutdoorEdge.com. Hey guys and gals, welcome to the Oklahoma Outdoors podcast brought to you by Arrowhead Land Company. Here you will be educated, entertained, and equipped to get more out of your outdoor experience. So hold on tight because here we go. What is up, folks? Welcome to the Oklahoma Outdoors Podcast. I am your host, John Hutspeth, and I hope you guys are doing well. I've been doing pretty good, still just getting that work grind, you know. Um, been playing a lot of uh, payback, I guess you'd say, that's the best way to put it, with my wife. Uh, hunting season, or at least deer season, is over, and my wife is taking full advantage of that. Uh, I've been doing a lot of babysitting, got a lot of babysitting uh, coming up. Um, but you know what? Hashtag worth it. Absolutely worth it. Uh, so yeah, um, man, it's been pretty awesome actually to spend a lot of time with my, my baby girl and my wife. Um, it's, it's getting to the point to where like, I don't even want to go to work because I just miss my little girl that much. Uh, she's kind of, she's getting older, she's getting her personality and stuff and it just makes it even harder to be away from her. So, so that's what I've been up to. Uh, did not get outside or anything over the weekend. Just hung out with the the wife and baby, and uh, that's probably what I have for the quite a ways into the future. Um, this coming weekend, uh, I don't know if I'm going to get out to the ranch, but I I mentioned the last two weeks I am dying to get on the lake actually and do some fishing. I'm very seasonal in my you know fishing habit. Uh, like I don't think I've been fishing. Probably since I'm gonna say August, somewhere in there. I might have gone like once in September. Uh, basically, once deer season rolls around, I put the fishing poles away. Um, but man, I'm, I'm ready to dig them out now. So ready to do some fishing. Hopefully, I can get to do that. Uh, you know, sometime soon. And uh, I think, uh, man, the next time I know for sure I'm headed to the ranch is like at least two or three weeks away. Um, I'm, I'm dying to get there, believe me, uh, especially after this this episode that we're about to drop. Uh, we're talking a lot about habitat and stuff. Man, that, that old John Deere 1971 dozer is calling my name. I can't wait to get on that thing and do some habitat improvement. Um, I've been talking to my brother a little bit about doing some, uh, some fencing changes. Uh, you know, try to... Uh, I mean, it'll benefit both of us really, but get some areas that are more 100% deer uh, and separate the cow areas, you know, just kind of, it, it, I think it would help us both, you know, the cattle and myself, aka the deer, um, but you know, we just need to kind of get some better fencing, some some areas that 
Right now, there's some areas that like the cows can get to every once in a while, but not all the time. But that kind of affects the deer. Um, there's other areas where the, the cows can't get to as much, but they're not very good for the deer. And so we're talking about doing some refencing just to kind of basically even those areas out. Um, I want some areas that are more just deer centered. Um, I talk about it a little bit more uh, actually in the episode. But um, some some we've had some land changes go on in the last couple months. Um, I think I've talked about it before, but um, two of our neighbors have actually sold, and uh, one of them I know for a fact is being split up into a bunch of smaller tracks, which is very unfortunate. And then uh, one other neighbor they sold, and I, I think that's also their plan is to split it up into two or three tracks or something like that. So um, basically, going to have more human activity, probably more than likely some more hunting pressure. And so in the past, our place has always been not super good cover. I've, I've kind of let the, you know we've had really good cover on the neighbors, not so much ours. So I've always been more focused on food because I didn't feel like cover was that big of a deal. We have some areas that have good cover, you know. I have some areas that I stay out of, but I just feel like with this incoming human pressure and the way things are kind of getting split up, I think I'm going to have to start transitioning and really starting to focus on good cover because I think those deer uh, and more specifically the mature bucks are going to start getting pushed around a lot more Um, and so I want to be (laughs) I want to be their home I want to be the place that they run to the place they feel safe and so you know I've I've always kind of I've always kind of prioritized food uh, and habitat but I think I need to kind of shift my vision just a little bit and really um, you know start start worrying about some really good cover and so that's kind of be my goal for this spring uh, so yeah I'm dying to get up there and get started because I mean honestly right now is the perfect time we're uh, at the time I'm recording this where deer season has been closed for about three days which means it's go time as far as habitat work because I really don't want to drag that on into the late spring and summer uh, so now is the time that we need to be doing that so that's the plan for the future, uh, but today on this here episode, we are talking to Charles Greer, and Charles is the owner and operator of Whitetail Fanatic Land Consultants, and so Charles actually reached out to me, and after checking him out a little bit and talking to him, I thought he'd be a great addition to the show, and Charles is extremely knowledgeable. Um, I learned several things from him. I had a few little light bulb moments, and so that's my hope for you guys. Um, man, like I said, pay attention this guy really knows his thing, uh, knows his thing, knows his stuff. And uh, man, I'm telling you, if you you know feel like you're struggling or you just want an extra set of eyes, give Charles a call, have him out to your property, because like I said, he really knows his stuff. So, so that's what we have for this week. Uh, I'm going to get out of here. Like I said, we have a nice full episode, so there's no reason for me to drag this intro on. We're going to go ahead and cut to the chase. So I hope you guys are ready for this, and we're going to get into the episode right after this. There is truly no place like the great outdoors in Oklahoma. When you're out in the wild, you want your wireless devices to work. Unlike other carriers, Bravado Wireless believes that coverage in rural areas is important so that you stay connected. With competitively priced plans and coverage where you need it, the mission of Bravado Wireless is to keep you connected no matter where you are. Visit bravadowireless.com or check them out at one of their retail locations. Bravado Wireless, the power of connection. Have you ever had second thoughts about what stand you should hunt or what time you should get there? I know I have. If you're in the same boat and want to make a more informed decision using the trail camera photos you're seeing, Deer Lab was made for you. 
DeerLab is a web-based app that takes your photos and turns them into real hunting intel, allowing you to make data-driven decisions during the hunting season. Visit DeerLab.com to learn more and start your 30-day free trial. If you like what you see, use the coupon code OKLAHOMAOUTDOORS, all one word, to receive 20% off any plan. I guarantee you, after using Deer Lab, you'll never look at your trail camera photos the same. I love getting my boat out on the lake, but now that I have a little girl, I'm always looking for a simple, easy way to get outdoors. If that sounds like you, head over to Private Water Fishing and sign up for your membership today. Not only does it give you an easy, hassle-free, private place to fish, but many of these lakes even include a boat of some kind to use while you're out there so you don't have to mess with getting yours out of storage. Add to the fact that these large private lakes are professionally managed for trophy bass and you really have nothing to lose. That's privatewaterfishing.com. Arrowhead Land Company continues to grow and they want to bring you along for the ride. They have agents all over the state ready to help you with all your land buying or selling needs. Big or small, for business or personal use, it doesn't matter. If you want to buy or sell land in Oklahoma, Arrowhead Land Company is there to help make those dreams become a reality. Hey everybody, welcome to the show today, and today we're talking to Charles Greer. How you doing, Charles? Well, I'm doing pretty good. How are you? Oh, not too bad, not too bad. Uh, you reached out to me recently and said you are the uh, the owner-operator of Whitetail Fanatic Land Consultants. And so that's what we're going to be talking about today. But before we get into the consulting talk, why don't you just tell everybody a little bit about yourself? Uh, just an avid hunter. I've hunted uh, for all the way from Maryland all the way down to Texas. Got a little bit of experience doing a little bit of all of it. Uh, we lived out there in Maryland for about 10 years didn't realize that uh archery and all the whitetail hunting was so big out in that area <laughs> it was a pretty good deal mm-hmm. we uh we opened up this little whitetail fanatic land consultants business to try to help out landowners and maybe even get some new hunters into it that don't know exactly what they need to do awesome awesome man that sounds great uh, yeah i gotta say when i think of maryland uh deer hunting is probably not the first thing that comes to my mind no, it wasn't mine either. I didn't think I was going to be hunting whenever we we got up there. Mm-hmm. But they've got a ton of uh, public land and some big deer. Gotcha. Well, real quick, I, I, I've i never had anybody on who's hunted Maryland that I know of, at least. Uh, so i got to ask a few questions about it. What uh, I guess one, just kind of what's it like? You know, What are some differences between up there and down here? And uh, you know, I guess... For for the most part, whitetail or whitetail, but there's got to be some differences in, in culture and how people hunt and stuff like that. Yeah, there definitely is. Uh, I did a lot of urban hunting up there. One of the properties I hunted on was only five acres of land and mm-hmm. killed one of the biggest deer I shot up there. Wow. Uh, they also had some big tracts of public land that were actually government land mm-hmm. that you could just, it was kind of like a hunt club that you could buy in on. They had some pretty strict rules, but man, uh, there was tons of deer up there. I think there was the biggest group I ever seen was about 40 Hmm. at one time, uh, running through the woods during shotgun season. It was pretty phenomenal. Mm -hmm. Man. What about, did you do a lot of ground hunting? Was it, uh, like were climbers big? I, I, I don't know. Again, I've never been to Maryland. I'm assuming there was a lot of pine trees and stuff like were climbers real big or how did most people hunt up there? 
climbers were real big. Uh, most of the trees up there, all the hardwoods, they're actually straight, and you can go up 20 to 40 feet without even hitting a branch. So wow. you can get way up there and uh, see for a long ways, and the woods definitely were not as thick as what we have here in a lot of places. Gotcha, gotcha. Sounds like a pretty high deer density area. Oh, very much. Uh, and believe it or not, it didn't take very much for a deer to live right next to a highway. Uh, I could tell you what the traffic report in the mornings was on Route 50 up there. A lot of times, <laughs> I was on. I would only be hunting, you know, about a hundred yards off the off the highway. There, I could see all the cars zipping by and still have deer right there by me. Hmm. Man, I I guess everything's just so much more pop, populated up there that they just kind of had to be used to that, huh? Yeah, it definitely was, but they had all kinds of uh they had all kinds of terrain and habitat up there anywhere from mountains all the way down to marshlands. Hmm. They had out on the marshes out on the eastern shore, they had the uh, sick of deer. Uh-huh. I never had the chance to go out there, but I had some friends that did. Mm-hmm. Uh, believe it or not, them sick of deer, they're actually pretty thick and they make some wicked sounds in the woods that I heard. <laughs> that's I've heard that. I've heard that. Man, that's awesome. That's really cool. I've uh that's kind of been on my bucket list. Uh you know, it's it's hard for me to leave, you know, the great deer hunting I have here, but I've always wanted to go somewhere somewhere up north. Uh just kind of experience mm-hmm. just a completely different type. Uh you know, I've always like maybe even track deer in the snow. That's something that I've never you yep. know, had the opportunity to do. We lack the snow. Um so yeah, it'd be, it'd be cool to go somewhere like that and experience something. So that's that's really cool that you have that experience. Well, I had a uh... I had two teenagers that I used to take hunting. Well, they're not teenagers anymore. They're 24 and 25 years old. They came down and uh, actually visited for two weeks here in Oklahoma, and we did some Oklahoma deer hunting, uh, something that they'd never seen before. We took them out west and let them see the uh, grasslands out there, and Mm -hmm. one of the boys actually shot a really nice eight-point. Awesome. Awesome. Very cool. Well, I, I definitely want to get into the consulting stuff. Uh, if we have some time at the end, we might we might uh, dig into that hunt a little bit more. And I'm glad you brought that up because one of the things I wanted to talk about uh, at some point during this was kind of more of the western Oklahoma habitat uh, just because, you know, eastern Oklahoma is, is a lot more similar to what you get out of the, you know, the Midwest and the east and stuff. Mm-hmm. And so that stuff's covered fairly uh you know, just covered very well on, you know, other sources and stuff, but you don't get a lot of people talking about that more, you know, Western grassland, uh, you know, lack of rain type area. So, so yeah, yep. I'd love to talk about that at some point maybe. So, but, uh, yep. so you, you mentioned whitetail fanatic land consultants, uh, real quick, why don't you just give us a quick little rundown of, you know, what you do services you offer, you know, maybe even kind of how it got started and that type of thing. Well, it all got started by helping out friends and family, setting up their hunting properties and them having success, and uh, just kind of pushing me and edging me along to do it for other people. Oh, it's really not that hard. Anybody can improve their habitat. Uh, A lot of them just lack the ideas, or they're just unsure of what ideas they have. Uh, It's it's pretty easy. You go out there, and uh, we go out and visit their properties, try to put a plan that's tailored to them mm-hmm. so that they can, uh, you know, maximize their potential. Cause you know, not everybody wants to shoot 150 or 200 inch buck. Mm-hmm. Some of them just want more deer. So that's the way it is. And we try to tailor it to what they want and improve the habitat by anywhere from 
TSI work all the way down to just creating bedding areas and adding some food, showing them some stand placement areas and some ideas how to hunt the wind. Uh, a lot of people just don't know how to understand the wind and the thermals and everything else. And I try to take some uh, milkweed out with me on every time I go and, and show them how the milkweed reacts to the thermals. And a lot of people are just amazed that, you know, milkweed would take off and go straight up in the air when the wind's blowing a little bit mm-hmm. just because of the the rising of the heat and everything. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's all we're offering right now is just the plans. Uh, in the future, we plan on doing some tractor work for them, maybe a little TSI work and getting out there some hands-on with them and helping them. Uh, but right now, we just don't have the time or the, the means to do it. Mm-hmm. That's something that we plan on adding pretty soon. Gotcha. Very cool. Awesome. Well, cool, man. Well, I would absolutely love to to pick your brain and uh, ask some questions. And you know, one of the one of the cool things about doing what I do is I get to talk to people like you, and it's almost like getting some free advice for myself. And so I'm going to try to cover some stuff that you know other obviously other people could uh, take advantage of. But uh, yeah, I got some some questions here in front of me. So if you're ready, let's uh, let's dig into them. Man, give at it, and I'll try to answer them the best I can. All right, sounds good. So this first one is is fairly general, and you mentioned earlier, you know, bedding cover and stuff. So my first question is just, when you hear that phrase, bedding cover, you know, what comes to mind? Staying out of it. Mm. That's my my big thing, is if you go in there, it's not going to be bedding for very long. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, you've got to stay out of the area. Do your TSI work. Uh, you can plant switchgrass, any kind of thing that will isolate an area, make it stand out. Mm-hmm. You don't want to, if you do TSI work, you don't want to make it so thick that they can't get in and out. they got to have, you know, exits in case a predator gets in there. But the biggest thing is just human intrusion. Human intrusion will, will flat out ruin a bedding area. Mm-hmm. faster than anything uh we're currently working on a property that had a lot of tornado damage mm-hmm. and it's kind of been a challenge because the tornado damage is pretty much all over the property but i've noticed that these deer are like in the edges of these ridges that where some big oaks are laid down and there's some monster rubs down in there so we've set that property up and we're going to make those uh kind of south facing slopes where on these ridges where these trees are down go in there and the, the guy's going to cut some timber that's laying down already and leave the treetops and uh hopefully it'll open you know it's going to be open because the tornado came through and you got, got that canopy broke hopefully some of the natural browse is going to sprout and give those deer some food in there and uh it should be a phenomenal area to hunt the edges of it's one of them areas that you can access well around it to be in some funnels to catch the deer moving in and out. Uh, the guy's got access on all four corners of it. He should have a, a really good property when it's all said and done. He's already got some nice deer on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's got one that's at least probably about 170 inches that he's got pictures of for the last few years. Uh that's just one example, but, you know, you could also go to the grassland aspect of it and uh, plant you some switchgrass out there if your property's lacking any kind of cover out in open fields. 
plant some real thick switch switchgrass and those deer will make their own trails in there kind of be like little tunnels i've seen them uh looks like little burrows going through them a lot of times for the does and everything and they go right out in the middle of it and there'll be beds everywhere hmm. uh, i don't even recommend shed hunting in those bedding areas that much just because every deer sheds at a different time and it gets to the point where you can either go in there and blow everything out but it's one of them deals i just don't like human intrusion in the bed in the bedrooms yeah absolutely man grass is one thing that i have been very interested in but just never had the the opportunity um the last property that used to hunt a lot we just cattle was an issue and just and soil was also an issue um the place i'm hunting now like we have the ability um cattle can be somewhat of a problem but i have some areas that we've you know we're working on getting the cattle fenced out and everything um and very very interested interested in the grass side of it is there like a like a minimum acreage though that you would suggest you know like if if you only have a half acre is that worth it or do you need like over three acres or something uh if anything's better than nothing mm-hmm. but uh, for, i prefer about five acres mm-hmm. that way they've got a you know, room to roam. Mm-hmm. And uh, I also, I also try to keep as the, like if I'm going to do a switchgrass area, I don't want a bunch of food in that switchgrass. I want mm-hmm. those deer to come out of there. Mm-hmm. I don't want them to be able to just lay up in there and, you know, not have to come out and eat. Uh, mm-hmm. Some people believe in having food in their bedding areas, but that's not the way I think, you know, there's going to be natural brows come up in there, but that's just something you can't do. You can't do nothing about the natural brows really. Yeah, but I like having about five acres for bedding areas blocked off. Uh, they don't have to be a certain shape. I I prefer kind of oddball shapes, mm-hmm. something that something that doesn't make a lot of sense with a lot of edges, uh, deer or edge creatures, you know. And I found that if you have little nooks and little crannies back in there coming into them bedding areas, that they they tend to come out the back of them and stand there and just look around and kind of observe little bit before they move on out and get comfortable gotcha gotcha okay so you, you've mentioned grass you've mentioned uh you know tsi timber stand improvement for those listening and uh, but w- there's one thing that you know dominates the state of oklahoma that a lot of people kind of have mixed feelings about what about eastern red cedar you know we have a ton of cedars on our place they're all over oklahoma <clears throat> um a lot of people see them as a good thing because they're super thick um, and a lot of people, you know, see deer come out of them. Uh, there's a lot of experts that say they're bad cause they shade out the ground and everything. Uh, so I guess first question, where do you stand on Eastern red cedar? And two, do you, you know, work them into the plan somehow? Well, it seems like every property here in Oklahoma has got some shape or form of an Eastern red cedar on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like cedars, but I don't like big cedars. When the trees get so big that, like you were talking about, it shading out the ground and all the vegetation underneath it's, you know, dying off and nothing can grow, mm-hmm. that's when I don't like them. But I like the smaller cedars that, you know, you still got a lot of grass and little vines and stuff growing. Uh, the cedars for bedding areas, you know, it's got a lot of thermal cover in it. Uh, mm-hmm. The deer enjoy them, but man, they're hard to hunt. Because a lot of times those deer find the ones that are just in the perfect area. And that thermal cover, you know, they'll be in there. And I've had a lot of trouble hunting around them 
just because the cedars seem to heat everything up a little bit mm-hmm. and it pulls the wind down in there and they're pretty hard uh but i don't tell people to get rid of them just to get rid of them because mm-hmm. they've got they do have benefit so they've got you know all the cover if we get a bad winter breaks the wind from them so they come into the plan uh i'm just not a big fan of them a whole lot yeah yeah uh here's a question i've always wanted to ask somebody uh let's say you have a you know a blank canvas whatever you know 80 acres thousand acres doesn't matter blank canvas and uh let's let's say that you can you know mold it like on a computer you can basically make the property however you want it to would you rather it be more open or would you rather it be more timber well i would like it to be balanced mm-hmm. that's how i think i would like but i would want my i'd want my center of my property that would be my main bedding area mm-hmm. and, and then i would hunt the outside edges of it the outer perimeter mm-hmm. of the of it let, let the deer have the center but then i would pull my food out towards where i'm going to be hunting at uh Obviously, you got to take an account for the water. Uh, a lot of times you can put water in the bedding area, and it works out just fine as long as you don't have to go in and, and fill a trough or anything. Mm-hmm. You know, you can make a bedding area around creeks or, you know, just stuff like that, natural springs like we have here in Oklahoma. Uh, but that's the way I would hunt it. But I would definitely block my property off into sections. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I would the way I would work it is, your wind would have to be perfect to be able to access, you know, a certain area. Uh, your access is key on something like that. Mm-hmm. But the center would be bedding, and then you got your, you would have your transition cover, kind of some thickets and just some natural browse, and then you'd have your food plots or your feeders or however you wanted to do it. And then mm-hmm. after that would be my hunting areas. Uh, I also don't. I also don't recommend hunting over feeders it seems like these bigger mature bucks are uh shy of the feeders already mm-hmm. and you definitely don't need to add someone shooting something over one and them being close by and letting them know you know yeah it just seems, it seems like they just completely shy off of them at that point yeah yeah i'm glad you went there because that's where i was going to move to next just kind of the whole the whole food aspect um yeah i think a lot of people they do one or two things. One, they either use a feeder, which I have feeders. Um, you know, in Oklahoma, it's just just kind of a, a part of it, a way of life. Um, and then, so I think some people are very maybe over overly. Uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? They need that feeder. <laughs> I just had a brain yeah. fart. Uh, reliant. That's the word I'm looking for. They're overly reliant on that feeder. Um, or you have somebody who carves out, you know, maybe a, a quarter to a half acre food plot and they are overly relying on that food plot. They hunt it over and over again. So how yep. does, how does food and hunting and that relationship go? And, and, you know, kind of, there's so many aspects of it, but also just, you know, nutrition for the deer to help them, you know, be healthy and grow bigger antlers, just kind of the whole gamut. Um, how do you, how do you see the whole food versus feeder thing? Well, I, the soil is so terrible here in Oklahoma in certain areas that it's just hard to grow a food plot. And, you know, something that's commercialized, seed blend, 
uh, a lot of times it just takes a lot of work to build the soil up where you can grow something mm-hmm. that's that's sufficient enough to hold the deer herd. You know, yeah. you may get a little bit, but it seems like the deer just come in there and wipe it out as soon as they find it. Mm-hmm. So if you've got the soil that where you can grow something, I, I would prefer to have the, uh, just for a hunting aspect, I would prefer to have the food plots, mm-hmm. but I want a bigger food plot where if I am hunting it, I'm not really disturbing the whole food plot because mm-hmm. unless you shoot, you know, then you're going to obviously disturb it. Yeah. But just for the hunting aspect, you know, I would say no, no less than about two and a half acres on mm-hmm. a food plot and have it broke up, you know, not a rectangle, you know, have some oddball shapes in there where you got some nooks and some crannies where these deer can come out and feed freely and, you know, they're not going to be worried about somebody sneaking up on them or an animal sneaking up on them, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of times your deer will come in, if the food plot's not on level ground, they'll come in on the low spot. And uh, especially in the evening, they're coming from that low spot. That's because your thermal switch, you know, sometime right before dark, and your thermals start following down and they fall down in them low spots and they catch the scent of just about everything on the food plot. Mm-hmm. Uh I like food plots, but I want a mixture. Mm-hmm. I want to have my protein, and I want to run it year-round. Uh, find a good protein base. It's got high protein and some fat content. Uh, there's a couple different companies out there that come to mind. It seems like uh, Double Down is doing real well down there in South Texas. Mm-hmm. They're putting some monster deer on the ground, you know, feeding what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not a hundred percent sure if that's because of the lack of the food down there and the deer relying so much on the protein. Uh, I haven't really gone down there a whole lot to see what's going on, mm-hmm. but that's kind of what I would, I would suspect is the deer rely on the protein real heavy down there, which in turn, you know, up here, the deer are going to eat it too. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also are running the, uh, buck seduction. And they're out of Weatherford, Oklahoma here, so they're local. Yeah. Uh, I think the guy's Terry over there. I think that's his name. He's real nice, help you out any way he can, give you all the information on it. Uh, but also, we're in the process of getting some uh, real-world products uh, that they're making some protein up there that we're going to try here and see how that works out. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but... You know, people just tend to want to feed that protein during the season, the hunting season. Well, you're not really benefiting the deer herd at that point. Mm-hmm. Uh, you got to feed year-round, especially this time of year, because you've got those does that are coming, you know, have came in, and they're, you know, they're going to start lactating here in a few months, and you want them to be as healthy as possible. And the deer are only going to eat what they need, so if they don't need that protein at the time, uh, if they've got other forage around, they may not touch it, but then they may come in real heavy at some other point where they want it. Uh, they've got some way of balancing their own diet. They know what they need. Mm-hmm. Same thing with all the minerals, you know. Uh, always run your mineral sites and see what you get. I really prefer that double down. Uh, I can't slip my mind what kind it is, but... Mm-hmm. It's a big, big 50 pound bag of mineral that you can get. Uh, I run that around my corn feeders, just spread it around on the round corn feeder. And it kind of forces the deer 
when they eat your corn that's spread out uh, on the ground, it forces them to get it on their nose, which then in turn they lick it. So it's forcing them to take that mineral in. Gotcha. Gotcha. I never heard that. That's awesome. Yeah, that's just one way of getting them, getting the mineral to them, you know, without them going to a mineral site. Yeah. I've noticed here in Oklahoma, a lot of different parts of the state, they have natural mineral sites where a lot of hunters don't even know about them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and just maybe your locals run across them and they know about them for years. But mm-hmm. it seems like just stuff that's natural in the ground, uh, these deer are eating, you know, it's not even human made. Yeah. So it's it's pretty neat and it's pretty substantial but you've got to have your supplemental feeding in there to uh you know not really just to attract them but sustain the deer herd deer herd and keep them healthy mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. man i had two thoughts while you were talking there uh the first one how you mentioned about deer coming in from the low side of the food plot in the evening uh that is something i, I don't think i've ever heard anybody say that before and i was just kind of you know going through my memory bank of of deer and man i I'm thinking of several situations where I've had that happen, where there's one area uh, that on my property where I've been working on making a bedding area on this hill above my food plot, but I've noticed in the evenings the deer don't come from there. And I think you're absolutely right. I think they're coming from the down uh, downhill side. So, uh, so yeah, yeah. That, that's great. And then uh, on the on the feeding thing, I this year I I did some feeding. Um, uh, I was more, I just, I had one buck basically that I was trying to help keep around. And so I did some feeding this year, but, uh, the, before I got married and I had more disposable income, I fed one year pretty hard. I had several different protein feeders and yeah, I started in January, I think, and fed all the way up till the season. And, uh, one thing I noticed that year was I, I had more mature bucks on our property that year than any other year. It's like I stole them from, from my neighbors. Yep. Um, and again, you know, I don't, I don't have the, the wallet to be able to afford to feed year round anymore. Um, but man, if you can afford it, it, I can tell you one thing, it is absolutely an advantage. 100%. Yeah, it, def- it definitely is. But, uh, you know, going back to feeding the protein, everybody's got problems with raccoons. Mm-hmm. Uh, the best thing I've found so far is those dog proof, uh, coon traps. Mm-hmm. You can set them out and you set them in pairs, you know, don't set them right over your feeders, but, you know, set them in the general vicinity, take you a marshmallow and put you some, uh, sardine, just open you a can of sardines and kind of put them down in there. Mm-hmm. And man, them coons come in there and they'll, you'll trap those coons right out, but you gotta, you know, you gotta stay on top of it, mm-hmm. but those coons will flat wipe you out on the protein. Yeah. Uh, and another good thing about taking out the coons is you help the turkey population. Mm-hmm. It's been it's been shown that those raccoons will devastate the nests. About ninety percent of the nests of turkey, wild turkeys. So, mm-hmm. you know, you're helping out both ways. You're going to help your pocket on the feed, but mm-hmm. also you're going to be helping the turkeys by getting rid of them. Yeah. And man, I I feel like I need to say this for the listeners. I did not send you these questions in advance, but it's like you read my mind because I I do have a turkey question here. I I know deer is probably more of your your specialty, but um, you know, just it just seems like across the state and almost across the nation, you know, turkey numbers are going way down. Um, and so, are there things that you know of that people can do that you know kind of benefit everything? Like you know, if there are things you can do to help your deer that are also going to help your turkey, or things you you know, if you're a big turkey hunter and want to help them. 
you have any quick, you know, tidbits for people who want to just try to bump those numbers up? Well, take care of the coons. Mm-hmm. Take care of the coyotes. But on the habitat side, I think our woods are getting too thick. Mm. Because I, it's it's too big of an ambush area where a turkey can't get up and fly when the woods are real thick. And here in the United States, that's what I've noticed is, you know, everybody's gotten away from using fire and fire is a natural way to clear out the woods. And it still leaves the big trees, mm-hmm. the big mature trees. Uh, and I really think that's got a lot to do with it. You know, I understand there's probably other factors involved, but I just, I believe our woods are getting so thick that these turkeys, they can't get off the ground and get away from anything. Mm. Gotcha. I, I can see that. I can see that. We, uh, again, the property I'm hunting now, it, it was completely clear cut. And I think 2008, um, I mean, except for a few, you know, bigger trees along the, the creek, it was almost completely clear cut. And so I think our problem, at least on our property, is roost trees. They don't have anywhere to roost. Um, yeah. And I, I think in the, uh, I've been running cameras on this property for, I want to say five years now. And I can only think of about, three times i've gotten pictures of turkey trail cam pictures of turkey and i don't think i've ever actually seen one um but it's just it's just sad how how bad the numbers are right now yeah and they they seem to just fall off real quick uh that's kind of what makes makes me think we've got a predator problem uh that and we've got some robbers you know coming in and robbing those nests yeah and you know from all the feeders that i run and all the cameras on it We've got a real bad coon problem, mm-hmm. uh, and I know you know feeding and everything out there has definitely helped the coon population, mm-hmm. but nobody seems to hunt them anymore. So yeah. I think we need to we need to get some of that in check the best yeah. we can. Mm-hmm. What about this? Is kind of a mix of the two questions we were talking about feeding, and now we're talking about predators. Um, I, I've never been one to run a corn feeder year round. You know, I typically start about a month or so before deer season. I think that's how a lot of people do, but I've Mm -hmm. definitely met people over the years who run corn year round. You know, they want that, they want their deer to know that the corn's there, the food's there. Um, I guess kind of a two part question. One, do you feel like that is a good idea, you know, necessary? Um, and then two, you know, how does I don't know if this is a question or more of a statement, but just that can't be good for the coon population, I guess is what I'm getting at. But is is there well, a benefit to the deer? I believe there's a benefit to the deer on just corn. Uh, the, the corn doesn't have a lot of, you know, um, nutrition in it. It does have mm-hmm. some. Mm-hmm. It's got a lot, of, uh, a lot of fats in it. That's why they like it when it gets cold. Helps keep them warm. But those coons, they'll take that protein over corn any day. Mm-hmm. I've, you know, I've ran cameras over my feeders. I've put them, you know, right next to each other. The the corn feeder and the protein feeder. I'll have that coon have his hand stuck up in that protein feeder more than I ever seen him on a corn. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, everybody uses the corn different ways. Mm-hmm. I just don't think it's got as much nutri- nutritional uh, benefit to the deer herd as what a protein would. And corn's getting up there just about as expensive <laughs> as protein nowadays. It is. It is. It's a pretty sad fact. It is. Oh, uh, oh, I just had a question that 
popped out of my head. Oh, uh, this is kind of taking several steps back, but earlier we were talking about, you know, TSI, timber stand improvement, and we were kind of, you know, talking about it for more of a, a bedding aspect, but what about mm-hmm. it as far as, you know, food and deer health and stuff like that? <clears throat> well, to me, there's three different levels of TSI. You've got a, a light TSI and a medium TSI and a heavy TSI. So your light TSI, you know, you would just come in and kind of take out the ground clutter, the understory, all those little trees that want to grow up. And your medium TSI, I would come in and, and selectively, you know, cut some of the bigger trees to open the canopy. Every one of them's got their own benefit. Uh, obviously, you know, the light TSI, you're opening up the woods, but you don't necessarily want it to be, you know, real open a lot of times. Mm-hmm. You want some kind of cover in there. Uh, if you do a heavy TSI, that's kind of more or less, you know, real heavy selective cutting or almost like a clear cut that's going to benefit you, you know, years down the road with the new growth. But anytime you can open up the canopy in these woods, it's amazing on the natural brows that will pop up between just the vines and everything. And deer will eat any of it. They'll, you know, they'll eat bark off the trees when it gets real cold and they don't have anything else to eat. Uh, they're going to eat the, all the little vines that are such a nuisance to us. That's all food to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's... Uh... I like to... <clears throat> oh, go ahead. I like I like that medium TSI the best, uh, just to kind of open up the canopy, get some sunlight down there, and get some natural foliage. Because you know, every one of us has walked into these woods, and it just seems like everything on the ground is dead. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, just a little bit of sunlight down in there will open that up. And some of this tornado damage that we have up here, I'm waiting for this spring to see what happens. Because like some of it, I can guarantee it was real thick with these great big white oaks that blew over. There's no telling what it's going to look like come springtime with all the new sprouts. Yeah, yeah. And like I was saying, on, on our property, that's something that you know, I am I feel like we're kind of getting to the tail end of that. You know, like I said, it was clear-cut in 2008. Uh, I think the guy who clear-cut mm-hmm. it sold it in, I want to say, 2010 or 11 or something. And it's kind of, you know, basically it started regenerating about then. Um, so it's, it's, yeah. but uh, you know, so that's been what, 12 years, something like that. So I think we're getting past the point where it's been real productive. And I think that's why we've had a lot of good deer. Um, but yeah. we're, we're to that point where it's time to start setting some of it back. So I've, uh, last, uh, spring, my brother and I, we took the dozer back there. We did a, about a 20, 25 acre burn, something like that. Um, and we're, we're kind of trying to split it into some sections and to where we get kind of, you know, on a, a pattern, um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's been interesting to see what's, what's been growing, you know, a lot of cedar, obviously, and, and a lot of this is on some pretty steep slopes. Um, we've had a, a yeah. ton of pecan trees, which I, I didn't realize they were pecans for a long time. I, you know, just young pecans are, you know, they have that real slick bark. I thought they were some kind of elm tree or something. And then this year there was, yeah. or actually, I guess it was last year, there was one pretty close to one of my tree stands and it, you could see it had like three little sprouts where, you know, the shell had popped open and the pecan had fallen yep. and it was like a light bulb thing. So now I'm, I'm excited about them. You know, they're not really, they're not producing quite yet, but they're, they're getting there. They're real close. And so, uh, yeah, I'm definitely planning to get back there, clear out some more of those cedars, you know, let those pecans mature, get some more sunlight in there. And kind of like you were saying, just kind of see what happens. Yeah, that burning 
that burning is great for if you can open it up where you can section it off and burn mm-hmm. like that. You know, fire's natural. You know that that's the best thing for habitat improvement. Mm-hmm. You know, it may look ugly for a little while, but it's going to green up and it's going to open up, and you're going to have a lot of good growth in there for years to come. Yeah, I, I was really excited about it this year, but uh, the drought kind of kind of did me dirty, and my my, my brother ran out of get, uh, grass, so he had to put the cows back there, and they they mowed it down pretty clean. And then after that, you know, we just didn't get any rain for a couple more months. And so it was not the, uh, the highly productive, highly attractive, you know, area that I was hoping it was going to be this year. But, uh, but I think this coming spring, you know, after, now that we've got some rain and hopefully some more rain this spring, I think it's going to be, uh, going to be, you know, coming out in full force. So, so yeah, yeah. uh, man, I'm trying to think, uh, we've, we've covered quite a bit all over the place. Are there any, um, just kind of general tips or anything that we missed that you wanted to cover? Yeah, we can cover some, uh, mm-hmm. like I said earlier, you know, about the human intrusion, mm-hmm. everybody wants to get out there and work on their properties. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really recommend getting out of the woods by early May. Uh, mm-hmm. I understand you're going to have to go in sometime during summer and put cameras out, but, you know, when you do that, don't go out there and be sneaking around the woods. Mm-hmm. Let those deer know you're there. Because mm-hmm. if they know you're there from a long distance away, they're not going to be a spook, you know, when they when you come up on them. Because mm-hmm. they, they know you're there. You're not a predator. You're making all kinds of noise. Uh, I think everybody, when they go out, they try to sneak around the woods. And mm-hmm. I just, I believe that makes you seem like a predator to them. And it just makes things worse. Uh, so your human intrusion is big. Just stay out, do all your improvements early spring when you can. Mm-hmm. You know, I understand you're going to go in and plant a food plot or something, you know, for the fall. So you're going to have to go into that area, but just limit how many times you go in, uh, and don't go in there wearing, wearing what you wear for hunting. Cause you don't want them to associate, you know, that smell. Cause you know, we all smell at some point, uh, and deer have got the best noses that I've ever known. Mm-hmm. So you just, that human intrusion is big. It's it's the biggest thing. It'll ruin a property faster than anything, I believe. Yeah. Yeah, that's one thing that I've always struggled with kind of internally is, you know, drawing that line of improving your property but not having too much human intrusion because that's something I'm, I'm real big on. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, you know, last year, like I said, we did a lot of that burning. That was late February, early March or something, and I, I tried to pretty much leave it alone from that point. Um, I'm, I'm more likely to maybe sneak in there and hang a stand, you know, in the middle of the summer than I am to go and, you know, cut a bunch of trees or something like that. Um, but I'm, I'm hoping this year, you know, last, last year I kind of, I wouldn't say it was a sacrifice, sacrificial year, but I kind of went in with the mindset of let's go in here and get all this stuff set up so that hopefully in the future, I don't have to do near as much of that type of thing. Yeah. And it's a marathon. It's not a sprint mm-hmm. to get all this done. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know everybody's got lists and they want to get everything done, but mm-hmm. you just got to do a little bit at a time and just pace yourself because it's going to get better. You know, it may not be great this year, mm-hmm. but what you do this year is going to benefit next year mm-hmm. is the way I look at it. You know, all of my plans I've put together, they're not not—they're not just a one-year outlook. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if something don't work, we'll come back and re- we'll retailer it and try to fix what we got because we're dealing with wild animals. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, all we can do is predict how they're going to react to something. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you definitely don't want to go in there, you know, cut all your trees down. 
mm-hmm. and do some real heavy TSI work because it takes so long to grow trees, you know, just steadily do a little bit areas at a time and see how the deer react to it. Uh, along with the turkeys, you know, you open an area up, you start getting turkeys in there. You know, you might want to open up another area the next year for them. Because, mm-hmm. no, I, I believe turkeys are about the, the most fun to hunt just because you can interact with them just like they'll interact with you. I, th- I think that's awesome. And it's one of those deals where everybody loves to be interacting with wild animals and, and realize that, Hey, I'm talking to that Turkey, you know, mm-hmm. I'm speaking his language, you know, let's see if we can make something happen here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I had that experience this last spring. I, I'm not a huge Turkey hunter. I never have been. Um, but this last spring I, I had a really cool interaction with a tur- with a gobbler, called him in off the roost and stuff. And it, it won me over. Like I, like I have more than any other year. I am excited for turkey season this year. So uh, mm-hmm. yeah, it, just like you're gives you about. buck. What's that? It's like buck fever. It's oh, like yeah. buck fever tenfold every yeah. time I get a big old gobbler talking to me like that. You know? Yeah, yeah. You get those shakes, and you think he's out there shooting your first deer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, one other question I just thought of as we were talking. Uh, you know, you mentioned like up in Maryland, you you know, you might hunt five acres, and I think that's one thing that makes Oklahoma and Texas, and maybe just kind of the South in general, a little bit more unique than say the Midwest. Um, is just kind of the the size of parcels. You know, it's a it's a lot more common for people to have four hundred plus acres to hunt down here. You know, not everybody has it, but but it's a lot more common down here. Um, when you're talking a property that size, um, this this is kind of more of an opinion question, but would you say it'd be better to try to do a little bit all over that property or would it be better to maybe split it up into say like 40 acre sections and like one year really focus on this section and then the next year move to the next se- next section? What would you uh, advise somebody who's trying to, you know, do all this habitat work on a large property? I would definitely split it into sections. You're still going to, you know, bleed over into those other areas to do, you know, little tasks and stuff. But for your bigger stuff, I would definitely split it into sections and focus on those sections. You know, try to focus on what you believe is the most necessary at that time. You know, that could be anywhere from bedding all the way to the TSI work. Uh, and they kind of go hand in hand. Your TSI work, a lot of people, you know, lump in their uh, hinge cutting for TSI work, which now you're creating bedding cover too and food in the bedroom. So I don't necessarily like creating food in the bedroom because I want, I want my deer to come out mm-hmm. in a timely fashion before dark. But, you know, a lot of times they'll come out even on a TSI. But I wouldn't go in and TSI, you know, say if I've got 10 acres that I'm going to work on there, I'm not going to TSI and uh, hinge cut all of that for sure. I'm, I'm going to have a mixture of some stuff laying on the ground plus a few hinge cuts, you know, just to give them some natural browse out there on the ground. And uh, you also just don't want it so thick that a deer can't, you know, get up and run out of there if needs be. Need be. Mm-hmm. But definitely split that into 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 sections. That's the mm-hmm. biggest thing. Don't tackle your whole property all at once. You'll just get overwhelmed and get discouraged. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think something else you said there is just kind of identifying your needs is a big one. And uh, again, you know, keep talking about my own property, but just. Uh, that's something that I think also can shift over time. Like I'm have, I'm in the middle of a big shift 
Um, I've always had very light hunting pressure from our neighbors and most of the cover in our area was on the neighbors. Like, again, I was talking about how our place was clear cut and we have cattle. And, um, so my strategy has always been to have food to try to pull deer off my neighbors. Um, but I learned, uh, honestly, just a couple months ago that, uh, not just one, but two of our neighboring properties have sold and they're kind of in the areas where, you know, some prime deer hunting, one of those properties, I know they are cutting it up into a bunch of smaller tracks and selling them. And so, you know, I may go from one landowner to, to 10 there, which is unfortunate. Mm-hmm. And then another area that, you know, is very good, just sold. And uh, from what I understand, they're thinking about doing the same thing. Maybe not quite that small, but um, so I'm kind of shifting from, <coughs> I'm still wanting to provide food, but I think cover is going to be extremely important now on our property uh, because like you know, just with so many more people on the landscape, I think those deer are going to get pushed around more, and so I think I'm going to have to focus more on cover to give those deer a, a safe place. Um, so yeah, just kind of a, a long rambling deal of you got to you got to really identify yeah. what your needs are. Yeah, you, you're definitely correct. You know, with them splitting up those acres, you're going to have more people. Uh, that's just going to push the deer off those properties, and if they've got some place to go on yours. Yours is going to stand out, and that's where they're going to go. Mm-hmm. They're, you know, they, uh, they, I can't even think what I'm trying to say now. <laughs> you know, they adapt to every situation that comes their way. And, you know, sometimes we just overthink it. And you could go in there and just add some big bedding covers where maybe the cows can't get to mm-hmm. and add, you know, maybe a switchgrass field or just some draws or something. And, those deer will flock right in there and bed in there and be living on you. Mm-hmm. And then all you got to do is try to figure out how to keep them living on you and not venturing over to the neighbors. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's, that's what I've been pouring over. I've been studying my maps and everything. And I got an old, uh, 1971 John Deere dozer calling my name to get back there and clear some of those cedars and try to get some more, uh, m- more undergrowth going. So, um, so yeah, that's yep. my plan. But, um, uh, well, uh, you you mentioned you had a, a story for us possibly, but again, before we move on from habitat, any any other last minute tips, tricks, things you want to throw out there? You got a nice big platform to talk to all the people of Oklahoma, <laughs> Kansas, Texas, Arkansas. We, we cover a pretty big area, so uh, you know any anything oh, you yeah. want to get out to the people. Well, I just want to let everybody know that we're just out here to help. Uh, mm-hmm. And it doesn't cost that much to have us come out, and our plan doesn't stop just on the last or on the first visit. Mm-hmm. Our plan goes on throughout the years, and we come in and redevelop for people. And if something don't work for them, we try to figure out why it didn't work, and help the hunters out, and hopefully make their dreams come true on their properties. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody's dreams different. Some people want to shoot great big bucks, and somebody just wants to see the numbers. Mm-hmm. I prefer to like to see both. Yeah. <laughs> that's just me and you know the more deer i sit and the more deer i see in one sit the more app i'm gonna sit there all day yeah yeah uh but but we're the you know we're just there to help anybody and everybody that needs some ideas maybe some fresh eyes on their property and uh just help them out all the way around you know we we recommend certain products we're not affiliated with any of those products those are just products that i believe that work and it's it's one of those deals. If you believe something works, maybe it'll help somebody else. That's right. That's right. 
Awesome. Well, we got a few more minutes here. You want to tell us about your uh, your son's buck hunt or deer hunt? That's a weird way to say that. <laughs> well, we've got some pretty wild ones out there. Uh, uh-huh. But the two boys, the two boys that came down from Maryland, you know, they hunted with me. We I took them out west, and we went out to Black Kettle National Grassland out there, mm-hmm. and was able to actually fill one of their tags open in the morning, about ten minutes after sunup. So it was a pretty short hunt. But he managed to shoot his first Oklahoma buck. Mm-hmm. They, you know, he he hunted hard, and his buddy that came down with him, he had a broken leg from falling out of a tree stand uh, earlier this fall. And actually, he didn't fall out of the tree stand. The ladder strap broke, and uh, the ladder gave way. Worse, but I was glad to see he was able to come out and hunt. And that buck that. Uh, that Colton shot, he was able to put a, I think it was about 200 yards shot on him out there in that open land. And we actually had about seven other hunters within 200 yards down the hill from us that they were sitting where we originally wanted to set up. And these deer were up on the ridges, you know, uh, right at daylight going down towards those bottoms. Mm-hmm. So, you know, everybody thinks, you know, hunting the bottoms is the place to be. A lot of times it's not, you know, those deer will stand up out of that grass and just move a little ways and lay back down. We were also lucky that it was, uh, the rut was kicking out there pretty good this year. The deer were, you know, fairly well coming to antlers. I couldn't get any larger mature deer to come to antlers, but there was tons of small ones. Uh, Sam's the one that broke his leg up there in Maryland from falling out of a tree stand and caused by the ladder. Uh, he came down and was hobbling around, so he was pretty immobile. He was on, but we still got him out there and got him hunting, and I believe he had a good time. And they're wanting to come back, and I'm actually thinking about going back up there and hunting here in the next few years with them on some of their properties and uh, experiencing the, the Maryland hunt for the first time, you know, in a few years. I think we've been down here since 2014, I believe, uh, after moving back. It was it's a good time. Uh, I enjoy taking kids hunting more than I actually shoot deer. Mm-hmm. I just, it's one of those deals you get a kid in it and he's not going to be wanting to do anything else after that. So, yeah. Yeah. Awesome, man. Yeah. I've, uh, I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm starting to get into that transition. I still really like killing deer. Uh, but I was like, you know, I took a few buddies this year, uh, deer hunting and, uh, my nephew got his first deer this year and I got a little six month old baby here that, uh, she's going to be hunting before too long. So I'm, I'm definitely, uh, I'm, I'm excited to get to that point, I guess is what I'm trying to say. So uh, you'll get, you'll definitely get there. And mm-hmm. you know, the, the, the two boys that I took that were up there in Maryland, uh, they weren't even my kids. They were just neighbors, mm-hmm. friends with one of my sons and, mm-hmm. you know, he moved back here to Oklahoma before we did. And, uh, you know, they just, I just continue to take them hunting up there and they shot a couple of their first deer with archery equipment up there with me. And, you know, they've, they've just continued it on and doing real well for themselves up there. They've both killed some real nice bucks on private and government land up there. Gotcha. Uh, gotcha. That's very cool. That's awesome. Awesome. Well, Charles, uh, if people listen to this and they decide they want to have you out to their uh, property, what's the best way for them to get a hold of you? 
Well, they can call me on my phone number or uh, just get in touch with us on Facebook. We're in the process of putting an email together, haven't, or not an email, but a, a website. Haven't mm-hmm. got it quite up and running yet. Okay. But just if you want to find us on Facebook, it's uh, Whitetail Fanatic Land Consultants. And you can find one of our posts there. It's got our information on it and everything we do and what we offer. And, you know, no, no property's too big or too small to come out and help somebody, give them some good ideas. Uh, fuel prices are kind of high, so I try to lump everything, you know, try to schedule them where they're closer together, mm-hmm. where I can do, you know, more of them for a little bit cheaper. Mm-hmm. Uh, since the old gas prices are so up at this point. Mm-hmm. But, you know, that's the best way. They can contact me on the uh, phone just about at any time. I do work some weird hours at the regular old truck driving job. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we try to schedule this stuff uh, and get them on there so I can take PTO and just, you know, we can do it on our day off. Uh, I do have a partner in it. Uh, his name's Brad Elliott. He's real knowledgeable, real thorough on everything that he does. So he knows just about as much as I do about it. And if he don't know it, he'll be calling me and asking and vice versa. If I can't figure it out, you know, I call him. And if it's a bigger property, we'll both come out. (laughs) Awesome. Awesome, man. Well, Charles, this has been great. Uh, I I loved all the information. You taught me a few things. uh, So that's always, always great. Like I said, it's a, Kind of nice that I get to be selfish and ask my own questions with this thing. But, uh, but yeah, man, that was great, and I really appreciate you coming on today. Hey, no problem. Look forward to doing it again. Yes, sir. All righty. Thank you. Have a great day. All right. Thanks. There it is, folks. Another great episode in the books. What is, man, I, I think this is episode 109. Not sure. I've kind of lost track, to be honest with you. But, man, over 100 great episodes. Thank you guys for sticking with me through all this. Um, you know, some people might call it the, uh, the off season coming up, but I think that's honestly when we get some of our best content. So got lots of stuff in the works. Um, but I do want to throw this out there. I do it every once in a while. If you're listening to this and you're like, man, I got a great story or, you know, uh, something that I think I can, uh, just help people with, you know, whether it be knowledge story, whatever it might be. And, uh, you have some interest in coming on the show. Don't be afraid to reach out to me. Um, email okoutdoorspodcast at gmail.com or honestly, Instagram is probably the best way to get a hold of me. Uh, Oklahoma Outdoors Podcast on Instagram. Uh, I do have a Facebook thing. I'm terrible at upgrading the Facebook. I'm much more active on Instagram. Uh, so yeah, like I said, reach out to me if you feel like you have something to contribute. I love hearing from you guys. Uh, and then other than that, I'm going to do my best to keep reaching out to people, to hopefully trying to get some people on who are, are interesting or entertaining, whatever it might be, we're going to keep this thing rolling. So thanks again for listening to the podcast. I hope you'll have a great week. And until next time, I will see you guys right back here on the Oklahoma Outdoors podcast. the right to the best wireless service. Bravado Wireless provides the best mobile wireless high-speed internet 
latest devices, and customer service at prices you feel good about. Bravado Wireless strives to put these values first and offer you the best wireless service available. See what they have to offer at bravadowireless.com or one of their retail locations in eastern Oklahoma. Let Bravado Wireless connect you to your family, friends, and business partners all over the world. Bravado Wireless, the power of connection.